0: The United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit is now open and in session. God save the United States and this honorable court. Good
1: good morning. We are ready for oral arguments in today's case. We have only one case scheduled for oral arguments today. I happen to hear a lot of feedback um, at the moment. Perhaps people can um, meet their, their devices when they're not using them. I now call the first case. Um, this is Trans-Pacific Steel versus the United States, twenty dash twenty-one fifty-seven. Counselor Hogan, are you ready to argue? I am, Your Honor. Okay, and remind me how much time you reserve for rebuttal.
0: I have asked for four minutes, Your Honor.
1: Okay. All right. You may you may begin.
0: Thank you, good morning, and may it please the court. The president acted constitutionally and lawfully by modifying the import restriction on steel articles from Turkey. In setting aside Proclamation 9772 as unlawful, the Court of International Trade committed two critical errors, both of which require reversal. First, the trial court ignored settled congressional meaning that action to adjust imports is a continuing authority and includes modifying previously act- taken action. We know this from the legislative history, going back as early as 1955, and prior presidents exercised their 232 authority as a continuing authority. Uh,
1: counselor, is, is it your argument that the president has no limits uh, that are that are imposed by any provisions in 232?
0: Um absolutely not, Your know, There are there are limits that are set forth in the in the statute. Um, I think most notably the President cannot act first without an investigation by the Secretary. And of course, the President cannot take any action to adjust imports um, if he does not concur in the findings what of, about of the, the Secretary. Term
1: what about the terms um, that are in the <laughs>
0: Yes, the the time frames are for concurrence and implementation. And I should note that in this case, the president did act within those time frames to concur with the secretary's finding and to uh, declare or proclaim uh, the course of action that the president is going to take. But that's a separate question from the question of whether once the president has taken timely action, as he did here, uh, the authority that has been delegated by Congress includes the authority to make adjustments to ensure that the national security objective of the statute has been, can be met. Um, and in this situation, the addition of those timeframes in 1988, um, Congress was not acting against a blank slate. It was uh, carrying forward that same understanding and that same meaning that action to adjust imports as a continuing authority. And while... Mr. Hogan,
2: con- this is just Toronto. Can I ask you, I, I, am I right that in in the briefing in this case, there was no citation of the 1975 opinion of Attorney General Saxby, um, which has recently be reli- been relied on in uh, one of the opinions in the... CIT in the prime source case, which seems to say things that has some bearing on this question of whether such, such action means a continuing course of action. Is, um, can, can you just um, address that opinion? Is it relevant? And if it's relevant, why haven't we seen it? And so on.
0: Um. Yes, Your Honor. I mean, I, I, I think it is relevant in, in that it, it we believe that it correctly identifies that the, the how the how the statute should be interpreted. Um, I think we have cited a lot of the um, legislative history and and again the the actual the presidential uh, principles um, that we have relied upon in our brief, um, so Hogan, that we, we try to cite. Yes,
3: this is Judge Chen. Um, I'm not familiar with this 1975 opinion. It, what is, do you know the name of the trade court opinion that refers to this 1975 opinion?
0: Uh, yes, Your Honor, this was a recent decision by the Court of International Trade called Prime Source Building Products, and in that case, the dissenting opinion, uh, the dissenting judge in that in that case, relied upon that, um, uh, 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 cited that. Um, uh, that opinion, um, and uh, we we did not cite it in our brief. We would certainly be uh, happy to provide it to the court if it, that, that would be of use. Um, I think that our uh, again, I think our our position, our interpretation of the statute is based on um, it, it, it follows much the same in, in, in that opinion. In that we're relying upon the principles of congressional act, we have principles of uh, a settled legislative meaning. Um, so I apologize to the court that we did not cite that specifically, but we thought that the um, sort of the original principles might be um, more directly relevant to, to this court's inquiry.
1: Councillor, um, this is Judge Reina. It, it seems to me that you were you were arguing just um, before you started receiving additional questions that the president can modify um, his actions without getting a new report or getting additional data from. Uh, from the ITC, is that correct?
0: Uh, we yes, we are saying that the president does not need a new t- to begin a new investigation by the Secretary of Commerce before he can adjust action that has been previously taken, as as he did in, in Proclamation nine 7, seven seven. Well,
1: if we look at the at the framework, the statutory framework that we're dealing with here, that does contain some temporal limitations. Um, it, it, it seems to me that, that that framework is based on ensuring that the President is taking action on, on a recent data, a recent report. And if, if the President could take action without a new report or an updated report, then how can we share, how, can we, how do we know or how can we be uh, sure that he's acting on updated information?
0: Well, first, I, I would say that the, the statute, I mean, the uh, formal investigation by the secretary is not the only way in which a president can receive advice and information from his advisors. Um, and in, in, in particularly in this case, in Proclamation 9772, the president did say that he had received um, information from, from the secretary. And so uh, nothing in the, in the statute precludes the president from getting those updates that, that we might expect the president to have. Um, But but the question about whether the president... And I
1: assume those those updates or or the ability to obtain an update is based on um, uh, Congress's view that the president should be acting on recent information or updated information.
0: I I think it's safe to assume that that Congress wants the president to act on the best information that the president has, and and I think that's... part the reason for the delegation, that it's the president and his advisors who are going to have the quickest, um, most up-to-date access to information relevant to national security. And, that, and
1: that's, that's why there's deadlines within the, the, the statute, correct?
0: Well, I, I would say that the deadlines are not so much um, to ensure that the president is acting on fresh information, but to ensure that once a threat of impairment to the national security has been identified, that there's prompt action. So, the, you know, there's a deadline for the secretary to complete um, that investigation, and then there are deadlines, time limits for the president to determine whether he concurs and um, to implement that, that action. But there's nothing in the statute um, specifically When you say, that, when
1: you say prompt, prompt action, how do we know action is prompt?
0: Well, you know we know that the prompt action that Congress was most concerned about was the president's concurrence and the President starting to do something. Um, and we can look at the historical um, evidence of the, the, the machine tools case, and, and that, that the, the, the perception that Congress had that that, the pre- that President Reagan was um, sitting on a report not making a decision not taking any action Um, it's very clear and the trial court did not dispute that that what congress was most concerned about in 1988 was um, delay in taking some action but
1: congress did not that delay the 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 the, the guard against delay is brought about because there's a need to ensure that this type of action this um, unilateral raising of tariffs. Is done on an informed basis, wouldn't you say? I,
0: I guess I, I don't. Dis, I don't think we dispute that the that Congress intended that the president act on the best information that that he has, um, and and that's in part why the delegation has been given to the president rather than reserved. So, how do we know the whether
1: Congress? the president? How do we know whether the president is acting on best information? If after re- making the the original um, concurrence, then we we impose or, or there's no imposition on the president as to seeking additional information or seeking an updated report uh, if if additional action wants to be taken
0: respectfully, that's not court, it's, it's, the court's it's, role yeah. it's, it would be it, Congress's it seems to role. me
1: that you it seems to to me that your argument uh, defeats in part the purpose of the statute, and that's for the president to act on updated information.
0: Well, again, I think we would disagree that the the, the statute talks about updated information or or that the, that that was even driving um, the amendments in nineteen eighty eight. Um, I, I think we certainly don't... Ms. Hogan,
2: Ms. Ms. Hogan, Congress- this is Judge Can, um g- g- Just on that specific thing, um, I- is there material, um, but forgive me if I just don't remember it, um, from the, let's just call it legislative history, broadly considered, um, that indicates that at least one, maybe even the dominant reason for the 1988 imposition of the time limits was to avoid action on stale information? Or was it, I guess, the, the, the things that I guess I'm remembering from, from your point of view is that the concern was that without a deadline, <clears throat> the president could simply not take any action at all, and that was problematic. But are there materials that have been cited to us or that you're aware of um, in which uh, – Portions of Congress, committee members, members of Congress, whatever, say we're concerned about the staleness of um, information. If the president waits too long after getting the secretary's report,
0: I, I certainly I, I don't recall that, Your Honor. Uh, what what I would say is that that those concerns about staleness are addressed by the fact that the president must concur within 90 days and implement what what's, what's what's, 15
2: days. What would be the practical um, negative consequence of um, enforcing the deadline by requiring a new um, secretary report following the procedures of consultation um, for the president to impose additional impediments to importation after the times have, have been um, have run what what's what's you know wh- why is it not oh well we may as well just um, insist on the report because it's not a big deal and that follows the statute better
0: well we disagree though that that it's what is required but it's in terms I of I understand that in terms of the practical consequence, Your Honor, it's, it's a consequence to national security. It's not at a mere administrative inconvenience. Um, and it, it is, in some sense, um, repeating the same work twice. Uh, before, well, unless
2: the world has changed.
0: Unless the world has changed. And, and I would say that the president always has the right to ask the secretary for a new report. We see that um, President uh, Nixon did that after 20 years of, of operating under the same uh, original proclamation uh, on petroleum products, uh, but, but it's not what is required from the statute, and it would hinder the president's ability to be able to act quickly um, to address changing circumstances.
2: Can I, um, can I, can I ask a, a change topic and ask, um, ask this question? <clears throat> um, is 9772 justified under... Okay, what's it called, um, C3A, little 2i, big 2i, um, namely, it, for, that's the provision that says if the uh, president actually negotiates an agreement with a particular country and, among other things, um, or among other possibilities, finds that it is ineffective in averting the threat, um, the president shall take other action. Um, could... could could 9772 be characterized as um, when, when the president says in the proclamation, "We are we still have too many imports. Um, capacity utilization of domestic or utilization of domestic capacity is still too low for a sustainable steel industry," um, and um, and that is after the South Korea and Brazil um, agreements from a few months before. Why? is that a, de- a determination in substance that the agreements that have been reached with South Korea and Brazil um, are ineffective in averting the threat, or like ineffective in eliminating the threat, I think is the statutory language, um, and therefore this particular action is um, covered by the language of that provision? I'm not sure you've made that argument, but I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts about it.
0: Uh, y- yes, you're, you're correct that we that we did not make that argument because we think that the the inherent authority is, is found in, in C in C um, uh, one.
1: You, you may continue. Uh,
0: thank you. Um, I, I would say that. The, we have not read the, the statute to that C three would be um, authority for for what the president did here. Um, but perhaps I can give it a little bit more thought. Um, but I, I would say that that's not the the interpretation that we're, we are relying upon here.
1: When the president modifies the the original remedy and increases terrorists dramatically, let's say. Is it because the president, in his discretion, has has uh, determined that um, the national security interest has has increased as well? That risk to national security has increased as well.
0: It's possible that 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 could be a. Um that could be a, a reason, I mean, for example, the, when President Reagan imposed, uh, essentially embargoed petroleum from, from Libya in 1982, there was a specific finding that um, trade with Libya would be inim- inimical to our national security beyond the um, threat of impairment generally, globally, with respect to petroleum products. Um, in this particular case,
1: That's a good example. Um, so suppose that the, the president raises the tariffs and, and doesn't, doesn't uh, reveal why the, he has re, uh, raised the tariffs. Um, but he did it because, not because of an increase in the risk to national security, but because of trade dislocations that have been caused by the increase in the tariffs, say, moving to labor, or even the sale of oil. Now the sale of oil has caught, is now the basis Dislocation of sales of oil is now the basis for the President's determination to raise the terrorists additionally, not national security. Can can the President do that?
0: Action to adjust the imports, what action the president takes is entirely within his discretion. Um, Once you've made that concurrence, um, that there is a threat of impairment to national security. Um, So long as the president continues to believe that there's a threat of impairment to national security, then the statute um, delegates a a, a great amount of discretion to the president to determine um, how to...
1: Okay. So, whatever decision the President makes, it's got to be based on some form of impairment to national security.
0: The, um, yes, I would say both, both procedurally, that there has to be a concurrence, so there has to be a, an affirmative finding by the President. And, and second, that subsection so D of the- if
1: that's the case, then can we assume that tariffs that are increased, that they're increased because there's also a commensurate increase in risk to national security that must be answered?
0: No, I don't think it's necessary for, for, for that for that assumption. I think the that what the president and what the president did here is to say that the, the measures that I've selected to address that threat of impairment are ineffective. And so I need to make changes so that so that there will no longer be a threat of impairment to national security. In other words, so that I can achieve the statutory objective. I would say that the difference is um, the, the sort of finding that there's a threat of impairment to the national security, which uh, remains in place until the court, until, I'm sorry, until the president determines otherwise. And then separately, what is, what is the remedy that, within, that in the president's judgment is necessary to combat that threat? And, and that Hogan. remedy may change.
3: Ms. Hogan, this is Judge Chen. Um, I'm interested in trying to understand better uh, your conception of the president's authority under this statute and, and trying to figure out how far does that authority go? It sounds like you're uh, contending that once the commerce secretary, in consultation with the defense secretary, um, does an investigation and issues a report that there is a a threat to national security, and and articulates a specific rationale for what that threat to national security is. And here it was the the domestic steel plants being underutilized and not being utilized uh, at a high enough level uh, for U.S. defense needs. Um, And then the president acts and agrees uh, under national security, the president needs to take action. And your position here is that Uh, the president has the right under the statute to take continued action. Is that continued action, does it need to be tethered to not only national security, but the actual rationale that was articulated in the Commerce Secretary's uh, report? Or, in your view, is it that once the president agrees that there's a national security issue, then the president really has basically unfettered discretion in the name of national security to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and and just invoke the concept of national security and say, well, now I'm moving the rates up, now I'm moving, moving them down, now I'm switching over to quotas um, here, there, everywhere, all under the broad umbrella of national security. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm My question is clear, but do you understand where I'm trying to go? Go? I'm trying to figure out to what extent is the president's authority have some constraints and guardrails put in place uh, given the the preconditions uh, articulated in the secretary's report on, on why there's a national security problem.
0: So the, the, the president's discretion, while, while very broad, it is not untethered. It is tethered to um, the action that the that, that statute charges the president with taking, which is adjusting imports. So the president is always limited to um, the articles or their derivatives um, that were the subject of the secretary's investigation, and the president has to act to adjust those imports. So he can't take any action. There has to be some a uh, connection to uh, the the articles that were the subject of the investigation or their derivatives. Um, I, I guess and, here's my
3: question. Here's a hypothetical. Um, here it appears that the president um, took a second action because he concluded that um, the expected increase in domestic steel production uh, under the first action didn't really happen. And so we as a country were not yet at that 80% utilization rate. So we said, okay, well then we need to reduce imports further and we're going to do that by increasing the tariffs on the imports coming in from Turkey, fine. But what if, and and your theory is there's, there's a connection there between that second proclamation and the Secretary's report. But what if the president instead had said, well, I've I've decided now um, in August of 2018 that I want domestic steel utilization to be up to 100% because I think as president that's what best secures national security. So under that altered different rationale than the one that was given to me by the Commerce Secretary, I'm going to yank up tariffs on on Turkey, and maybe some other countries. In your view, would that be uh, possible under the statute, or, or for example, would that be a non-delegation doctrine problem?
0: I would say that the, I mean the president is not bound by the factual findings of the secretary. It's it's whether the in terms of, you know, what the best capacity utilization that would no longer threaten to impair national security might be. So I I wouldn't want to suggest that there might be uh, changing facts and circumstances that that might alter how the president – I I think that still gets to the question of the remedy that the president is selecting to address um, the national security Impairment. And impairment is still caused by the the the, the quantity and circumstances of, of imports. Um, sort of that, that effect is is on the, the weakening of the, our internal economy. And um, so so I wouldn't want to say that that would necessarily um, be precluded under under the statute because I think the the rationale would still be be the same. Um,
2: Well, what
3: I'm trying to do in my hypothetical is create a different rationale. I mean, they're both uh, invoking the notion of national security. I understand that. But it's a different rationale, a different understanding of what it would take in terms of protecting national security. And now the president is electing to uh, act on a different rationale than the one that was articulated and earlier agreed upon with the Secretary of Commerce.
0: Right. So I, I guess I would say that the the, the the secretary's role is to investigate whether there is a threat of impairment to national security, and the president has to concur or, or not concur. And, and there's no specific instructions in the statute about how descriptive the president must be in, in, in what he's concurring to other than the ultimate finding. Um, so Then if but I, I if
3: understand your position, then it's as soon as there's a concurrence, a meeting of the minds between the president and the secretary of commerce, then the president basically has um, an open playing field uh, any date after that to, um, you know, and successive presidents can uh, in the name of national security, again, uh, for a basis that's perhaps different than, very different than qualitatively than what was the initial basis for uh, finding a national security threat uh, take uh, many other actions in the future uh, just because of this initial secretary report that was originally based on a different rationale for national security. Is that how I'm... Is that what your position is?
0: Well, I, I, I wouldn't say it exactly like that, <laughs> okay, Your Honor. You but... wouldn't say
3: it like that, but, I mean, is the effect the same?
0: Yeah, it, it, I think the, the effect is the same. Once the president has concurred with the finding, with the ultimate finding that there's a threat of impairment to national security caused by by either the quantity or circumstances, of then import, from
3: that point forward, he has a tool uh, that he can use whenever he wants to use for whatever reason. When I say reason, I mean specific rationale. So long as he can say that it's connected to national security.
0: That 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 the so long as the reason is to is tied to the statutory objective, um, and it's you know a, a, an action to adjust imports, which is the you know a limiting principle of the statute. Um, and and yes, and I right, think that the that's the the statutory Congress objective
3: intended. to you is just national security.
0: Well, I would say the statutory objective is to avert the threat of impairment to national security caused by imports of articles. So it's, it's a little bit more how do you, specific. How,
1: how do you know that the national security threat is caused by a rise in, in, in imports or by certain imports? When the president concurs with the report of the secretary, the, the president isn't just saying, yes, I agree. The president is saying, yes, I agree to the... Uh, uh, data and the indicators included in the report that provide the basis for me to say that I need to increase tariffs, and it also provides me, the president, the basis by by the levels at which to increase tariffs. If that's the case, and the president concurs with that report in that manner, with the data in the report, then how is it that the president can later just increase? at its own discretion and at its own will uh, make a dramatic increase in in tariffs without any type of basis or anchor to the trade data in the matter.
0: I would go back to the statute, which does not require the President to concur or agree with any of the data or any of the recommendations for action. that that the Secretary um, puts forward in the report. what What subsection C1A1 requires the President to do is to determine whether he concurs with the finding of the Secretary, and that finding is a finding that the article is being imported into the United States in such quantities or under such circumstances as to threaten to impair national security. So we would not say that the President is required to accept the data that the Secretary provides or uh, but, the recommendation. The, the, finding,
1: the finding is based on the data. In, in, in trade law, data is, is the evidence that you're dealing with. It, it provides the basis by which agencies make informed decisions. And that's the purpose of, the, of a 232 report, isn't it? To, to, to marshal together the evidence, the data, the trade data that exists, and then to evaluate that trade data, and then to make a recommendation to the president. If the president accepts that recommendation, then the president's accepting the, the basis of that recommendation. Isn't that, isn't that true?
0: I think respectfully that, that no, it would not be the case that the President is required to accept um, or be limited by the the data that is in um, the Secretary's report of investigation. It certainly informs the President. Then then
1: there's no purpose for the whole 232 exercise.
0: We we respectfully disagree, Your Honor. The the Secretary's investigation is, is, is that consultative uh role to, to um gather that data, to make um analysis, to make reasonings, to consult with the Secretary of Defense, to um involve the public if it's appropriate, um and, and to provide the President with that information. That is certainly um informs the President, but the President is not limited by it in any way uh, that's, when that's, the President that's is direct. selecting
1: that's correct. The president's not limited, and the president can make a left turn instead of turning right. If the secretary says, turn right, the president says, I agree with everything you say, but I'm going to turn left. But later on, <clears throat> five, years down, five years down the road, can the president say, I'm going to make a U-turn now? Or Can the president say, I'm going to go further? Or stop
0: well in terms of, of the remedy that, that that the president is selecting um, yes Congress intended that the president have continuing authority to modify to terminate to reduce or to continue but didn't to Congress
1: adjust. didn't Congress eliminate that that uh, the modification that you're talking about in the 1988 amendment
0: no, we respectfully disagree that that it that it did well, the, anything
1: the statute, other than the statute at that time said the president shall take such action and for such time as he deems necessary. That was changed. And that was changed. Yeah, so now the president cannot take a left turn five years down the road, correct? I mean, think that, that, the statute was changed precisely to eliminate the type of discretion you're saying that the president has to take such action and for such time as he deems necessarily. That's what you're arguing, but that's not what the law says anymore. That was changed. Congress changed that.
0: Congress did change it, and if the court – I know that I'm, I'm well over my time, but if the court will okay. permit yes. me to, um, yes, to walk ahead. through that – that language, um, Your Honor is absolutely correct. The, the prior to 1988, the statute permitted the president to, to take such action and for such time. Um, in the 1988 amendments, what the president is required to do is to determine the nature and the duration of the action um, that he deems necessary. We believe that that nature and duration language is is the um is is change in terminology without a difference? That for such time and uh, such action and for such time is now the function, the equivalent now, is the president's determination to um, identify the nature and the duration of the action.
1: Well, you've expressed a new rule of statutory interpretation, a change in terminology that makes no difference. I, I, you know, I, I certainly would not be able to, apply that in my line of business. This, well, I
3: think when I... Yes. Ms. Hogan, um, just so I understand nature and duration of the action, if, if the original proclamation 9705 hadn't said anything about ordering the Commerce Secretary to continue monitoring steel imports and in case the President wants to make future adjustments, let's say that was deleted from this proclamation. Is it your view that um, despite that silence in the original proclamation, the president still uh, had the authority to continue to make future adjustments if and when he was apprised of, in his view, the need for further adjustments? Yes.
0: Yes. Um- and I think with, particularly with respect to that sort of nature and duration language, um, I mean, the nature of, of the measure that the president selected here was um, a, a strategy, right? One that primarily was tariffs, which is, is the action that we're talking about here, but also included negotiations with other countries um, and, and the monitoring that, that the court has, has uh, omitted in, in the court's hypothetical. Um, what has not changed in the statute is the direction to the court, uh, to the direction to the president, to uh, to take action to adjust imports. That has
3: well, uh, has. So again, I just I'm trying to understand. Well, then where would the duration component come into play? Because I, so the, I guess your position is duration uh, encompasses uh, an indefinite time period. At, an unspoken indefinite time period. Is that fair to say?
0: Um, Yes, Your Honor. The the duration that the president proclaimed in 9705 was essentially that the import restrictions would remain in place until the president determines that they're no longer necessary. Um, And I don't think there's any evidence that the court, I'm sorry, that the Congress intended that the president, for example, say, these tariffs will only be in place for one year, um, because we don't think that that, that, that is, runs, one, contrary to sort of the predictive judgments that that Congress has delegated to the president. Um, and then op- it just as a practical matter, in, in terms of national security, it doesn't make any sense to proclaim that ahead of time uh, to to, um, to foreign so countries. So I,
3: I, I guess, again, in, in your view, although this proclamation was issued in 2018... Uh, A a president in 2045 could refer back to this proclamation and say, well, I want to do uh, the following increases and decreases to uh, imports uh, from the following countries by applying this new set of tariffs to those countries' uh, products under national security. Would that be okay? Okay.
0: The best evidence that we have that that is okay is is the congressional acquiescence to the operation of the Petroleum Import Program over, over decades, um, where Congress, um, even though it made, um, it, 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 it acquiesced to presidents exercising that authority from a proclamation from 1959 all the way to 1982. And Congress can always pull back that authority. I think another point to make here is that, one, Congress knows how to put time limits on the president. Uh, we can see that in examples like Section 201 of the Trade Act, which okay. limits um, the president.
3: Ms. Hogan, I understand your, your view is that this is a very broad authority, and I understand your, your rationale for why that is so. Um, but can I take you back to uh, Algonquin and the non-delegation doctrine? And the concern there, well, you know who knows what the state of play is with Algonquin today, but assuming that it's right, nevertheless um Algonquin's rationale was really about um some kind of intelligible principle to which the president is directed to conform, and in Algonquin, the court said, well, it was that." initial secretary report investigation and findings that um, was an important, critical precondition to any presidential action. So I guess my concern with your position is is that uh, it seems to be the government's position that the president under this authority, under this statute, can take lots of different actions uh, in the name of national security that doesn't necessarily conform to the articulated uh, reasons uh, the Secretary had initially made an investigation and findings on uh, in the name of national security. So can you explain why uh, everything would still be constitutionally acceptable uh, in view of the non-delegation doctrine?
0: Well, the, the Algonquin court found that, the, that there were no non-delegation concerns whatsoever with Section 232, or the earlier iteration of Section 232, which...
3: I understand notably- that. I'm talking about a hypothetical that you are uh, embracing, which is the idea that the president really has this power this very broad power to engage in all kinds of subsequent actions, uh, entire litany of actions that go far into the future that are really, uh, although in the name of national security, completely untethered to the specific rationale that the secretary had uh, made for its basis why there was a national security threat. And then why (laughs) isn't that a non-delegation problem? In that situation
0: I mean the the non-delegation well let me let me let me first answer with specifically with respect to to Algonquin because in Algonquin the court was actually the Supreme Court was actually reviewing action that was taken um, again some 20 years after the original proclamation on petroleum products and in that the the Supreme Court described what President Nixon had done as radically amending the program by moving away from a quota program into an import licensing scheme. So sort of the the, um, qualitative uh, differences between the remedy that the president was imposing um, some 20 years afterwards uh, the court was aware of, of the president's usage and, and exercise of power under Section 232. And, that, and, and that that played,
2: is, is, this is, this is just, trying to, just as a factual matter. Um, did President Nixon's Secretary of Treasury, I guess the person at the time, make a new report at that time, or was this all based on the Eisenhower-era report?
0: Uh, no. At that time, the, the secretary there, – there was no new investigation – until 1975, so it was still two years after after uh, President Nixon started um, winding down the, the quota program. Um, and this
1: is this is before the 1988 amendments, correct? I mean, we, we were looking at a different statute at that time.
0: Yes, although if if anything, I think this, this if, if what the court is concerned about is whether. Um, there's any non-delegation concerns, which, I, you know, this court already in a, recently in a, in a non-presidential opinion concluded that this court was still bound to follow Algonquin, but he, uh,
1: I, So I'd like to follow could, up a little bit on, on the discussion with, with Judge Chen. And this goes back to the nature and duration, duration provision of the, of the statute. And we could see in there that and there's some there's got to be some sort of tie between any action taken by the president and a, a sense of impairment to the national security. What if the president determines later on to take action that's not tied to uh, a sense of impairment of national security? What if it's outside of the, the realm of national security? Does the president have discretion under the statute to do that?
0: No, I mean, the the president has to follow the statute. Uh, The statute outlines uh, non-exhaustive factors in subsection two of of what the president is to consider in addressing national security. Um, And uh, if the Congress believes that the president is not acting consistent with our national security, it it always has the power to rein um, rein in the president. Um, but the suggestion that um, uh, the court can... wouldn't
1: the, the court yeah wouldn't the court also have the authority to determine that that a president has acted outside its a statutory authority? He, he...
0: Yes, to the extent that it does not require this court to review the factual findings or the exercise of the president's judgment.
2: Correct, um, okay. Can I, can, can I just- Do, do oh, my colleagues, ahead. yeah. Yeah, I do, I go do. Ahead. Um, go ahead. So we we've, we've just spent um, a lot of time um, talking about um, what, I guess I would expect the executive branch to say, which is no, we don't see very many limits on the authority, but I'm trying to figure out um, um, how much of that is essentially hypothetical and how much of it is presented here? Isn't it, is it the case that in this situation we have two things, namely the 9705, the original um, pronouncement or proclamation, um, expressly says that we're going to keep an eye on what's going on in the future, including with respect to agreements we're going to negotiate. And depending on what we negotiate in agreements, we may actually need a corresponding adjustment to the tariff as it applies to other countries. And second, when 9772 comes along in August of 2018, it doesn't vary, depart from – it doesn't depart from – the rationale of the Secretary's report, it says, the problem is that the 80% uh, utilization ratio that we're looking for um, hasn't been achieved yet, so we need to do more. Um, so is it right that the, 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 the kinds of situations that, have, that you were discussing um, at length um, about powers that you think the President would have are not... Presented here, or are they presented here? We we seem to have both an express initial proclamation that says I'm uh, I'm I'm putting into place a course of action, um, elements of which will be chosen in the future as circumstances permit or require. And second, the factual basis for the commerce report is the very basis on which the 9772 proclamation. Um, can you address that?
0: Uh, yes, Your Honor. I, th- I think that um, I really appreciate the, the court's questions um, with respect to the outer bounds of the president's authority. Um, in, in this case, it, it, it seems that what the president did here is, is exactly what uh, Congress intended the president to do. He timely made a finding of concurrence. He timely identified a course of action, uh, a strategy for addressing the impairment of, of uh the threat of impairment to national security, um, and then in Proclamation 9772, um, in paragraphs uh, one and two, he he referenced those are those the secretary's report, referenced his original proclamation and 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 finding, um, and then he explained um, that he'd received additional information suggesting that the capacity utilization uh, rate uh, is still low. Um and but
2: just, just just to be clear, he, he, did he or didn't did he not um adhere to I think it was an eighty uh, percent target figure that was in the Secretary's report or did he change it to um to some higher figure? Uh
0: no, Your Honor. And in, in paragraph four of Proclamation 9772, the, the President explained <clears throat> that um that the target capacity that that uh basically the imports, I'm sorry, that the production capacity, target capacity utilization level recommended in the report um, had not been met and was not being met. So he did reference the Secretary's recommendations, um, although, of course, he's not tied in the statute to the Secretary's well,
2: but, but the, the of course part is, I think, what, what um, we've been exploring at some length and, and how <clears throat> um, the outer limits do raise questions about, um, about a statute in which I think you agree with this. If the Commerce Secretary in, in um, his or her report says, I don't think there's a threat, then the president cannot act right under this provision.
0: There is nothing for the president to do in that circumstance. Right. So,
2: Correct. so Congress clearly put in place a precondition with various department heads playing a role and making report uh, making reports to establish procedural um, prerequisites that clearly matter, and maybe they matter particularly in a context in which um, the the substantive judicial review of an eventual presidential determination has to be extremely limited because of the national security area, as as we said, making it particularly important that the procedural requirements be be adhered to. And that does at least then raise the question of where the line is for when the president either departs from or doesn't depart from the basis in, in the secretary's report. But I think, as I understand your point, in this case, the president didn't depart from the secretary's basis.
0: That is correct, Your Honor.
2: Uh, Ms. Hogan,
3: thank you, for, yes. uh, thank you for your endurance during this oral argument. I do have another question, though. Uh, now, and that goes to 1862 C3A. Uh, Judge Toronto had raised this uh, provision earlier. This is... Uh, in the circumstance where there is a negotiated agreement of some kind between the president and a foreign country and um, under double little I, Roman numeral two, if that agreement has been entered into and is not carried out or is ineffective in eliminating the threat to the national security posed by imports of such articles, then the president shall take other actions to adjust the imports of the article. And the question and concern I have here is that right here in this provision, Congress has expressly authorized the president to take further action when his initial action, in this particular instance reaching an agreement with a foreign nation, has proven to be ineffective in eliminating the threat to national security. And so the inference, or one inference, could be given that Congress uh, included such an express authorization for the president to take further action in this particular circumstance, and that we see no such corresponding uh, express authority from Congress to the president in the more general determination of the nature and dur- duration of the action in 1862 C1, um, should we take away from that, why shouldn't we take away from that the idea that Congress did not contemplate the President to take subsequent actions under his C1 authority, um, but instead Congress only provided such subsequent action authority under C-3A uh, when an agreement has not proven to be effective.
0: We think that the better inference is that, um, again, given the historical context of the machine tools case and the particular problem that Congress saw itself solving in 1988, which was um, its perception that the president was um letting a national security threat linger and not uh, not timely entering into negotiations or addressing the threat that it makes sense that Congress would provide specific instructions to the President um, in that circumstance. And to read subsection c three A in the way that the trial court did, which is as the only way for the President under the statute to be able to modify action, actually um, leads to an absurd result in that It would would mean that the president can take action five years after an agreement is entered into if if, uh, those measures prove ineffective. A president is then authorized to, for example, impose a tariff. But the president would be precluded from doing what he did here, which is identifying a different remedy, a tariff, and then making an adjustment to that tariff five months after the original proclamation. And there's no reason why, uh, nothing in the legislative history, nothing in the historical understanding of the statute that should lead the court to that, that conclusion. It's, it's not required by the statute, and it, it is not the best reading in terms of the uh, national. Ms. Hogan, terms. then, is
3: it your view that um, this particular provision in C-3A uh, about, hey, if the agreement turns out to be ineffective, the president shall take further action – Are you saying that that wasn't a necessary provision there, that if you had pulled that out of the statute, the president would have had that same authority anyway?
0: Yes, we believe that the president has always had that authority, going back to 1955. No, but I'm
3: talking about the circumstance that's presented in C-3A. Once the president uh, reaches an agreement with a country or multiple countries and then concludes that those agreements haven't had the, the effect, the intended effect, and so therefore the president can take additional further actions. What I'm asking is, if you pull that out of the statute, in your view, would the president, nevertheless, under the statute, have that authority to take those kinds of subsequent further actions?
0: Uh, yes, Your Honor. I think that that it would be encompassed within the the general understanding of what the uh, the that the action to adjust imports is a continuing authority, irrespective of what remedy the president selects. Um, okay. That I- C3A. Is-
1: Go ahead. Go ahead and finish the, the answer.
0: <laughs> that, that, that C3A is, is best read as as. as Sort of providing further guidance and directions to the president in that in that particular circumstance that Congress was particularly uh, concerned about, and that and that includes further reporting to Congress. Um, so we think that is explained by by the historical basis for the amendments.
1: Okay, I'd like to to um, to go ahead and conclude this part of the arguments, but I'll I'll, I'll ask my colleagues if they have any any further questions.
2: Nope, no, no, nothing more from me, thanks. Okay, okay. Councillor Hogan, thank you so much
1: for indulging us. We, we, we had a lot of questions, and, and, um, and we appreciate your responses. Um, I'm going to go ahead and preserve your four minutes of rebuttal time. Thank um,
0: you,
1: Your Honor. So let's hear now from Councillor Nolan.
4: This is Matt Nolan, may it please the court. Uh, Matt Nolan, I'm appearing on behalf of the plaintiff appellee's Trans-Pacific Steel forison management and jordan international uh we thank the court for taking this case up expeditiously today and uh look forward to your questions um i would uh like to pick up where uh the government left off on the discussion of the government's continuing p- position that they have continuing authority or that somehow uh, uh the president has uh, the ability to take you know a single comprehensive action which lasts forever as long as he feels is necessary uh, to remedy a perceived national security threat. The the government relies strongly on pre-1988 law. That's not the law that exists today. The Congress put the May Amendments to Section 232 in place in 1988 for the specific purpose of putting strict
2: timelines on presidential action. It seems to me there is um uh, the same words about um time limits in 1988 can mean radically different things. One is we really want the president to act um and uh, you know within some time period and not ignore the obligation. And another is we're setting a time limit that sets an outer limit on the time to act so that once that time passes, the pre-existing power disappears. What evidence is there that Congress had concern that was trying to do the second thing? So, obviously, the, uh, thank
4: you, Your Honor, the, the 1980 amendments clearly were designed to compel immediate and effective action by the President, right?
2: The at, investigation- at, the, at the price of no power after that time limit? Uh, I I would
4: say the power is time limited unless the president goes back and gets a refresh or obtains a refreshment on the report. Let me
2: me just try to to focus this. Um, Put aside what is obviously the most important or at least the first thing, which is what message you would get out of the current words of the statute. Really put aside that for a minute. What evidence is there that Um, Congress was trying to do the thing that you said that you say it did, which is to close the window on presidential action um, after this after certain periods.
4: So beyond the plain language of the statute, which would indicate that there is a specific limitation on the nature and duration of the action taken that's in the statute. You also have in the legislative history where the Congress actually considered giving the president more leeway to extend out the time period for which he would act, and they rejected that in the legislative history. They came back and said, look, Mr. President, we want you to get the report, make a decision within 90 days, and implement the action that you're going to take with respect to that report
2: within 105 days. Okay, and I, I, don't, I don't – at least I don't have the, that material in front of me, but at least as you just described it, it seems to me it wholly fails to make the, the crucial distinction you're making. Where did Congress say, if you don't act by a certain time, we yank your power to act? Uh, I think that this
4: goes back both with the 1988 amendments, but you can also go back before the 1988 amendments, because in past administrations, in administering Section 232, the government has actually, the president has actually gone back and gotten supplemental reports from the Commerce Secretary in order to achieve the objective. And I take you back to President Ford's modification of Proclamation 3279 in Mr.
3: 1974. Mr. this is Judge Chen. I'm... I, too, am really interested in hearing a direct answer to Judge Toronto's question. And let me repeat it. It's it's where is there any expression of legislative intent that these uh, time limits that were installed in 1988 into Section 232B were designed to yank away from the president any authority to take actions outside of that time limit? You, is it the honor. answer there really isn't anything in the legislative history on that?
4: I, I, I would have to agree with your honor. Yes, okay. there is nothing in the legislative history that okay. says that. However, I would also say that if it is interpreted that those amendments don't in any way constrain the president's ability to act subsequently, what is the purpose of the 1988 amendments in terms of putting guardrails on presidential action in the future? Where are we going to take the analysis? Because if we go there, are we then saying the president, once he has the authority and takes that initial action within the time frame, he can take whatever action he wants in the future at what time, at what duration, or
3: uh, whatever the, nature would he you, feels is appropriate? Would you, agree, would you agree that the pre-1988 version, in fact, did uh, confer that? degree of authority to the president. It gave the president, it wasn't a time, the time
4: limitation did not exist. Subsection C did not exist prior to 1988.
3: Okay, so then, so let me just make sure I get a yes or no. So the pre-1988 version, you would agree, it gave the president the authority to do subsequent actions years after the initial proclamation. Is that Mm -hmm. right?
4: That is the way the statute reads, but I also would take the the court to look at what actually has been going on with respect to application of 232 prior to 1988. As I said before, as indicated in the Court of International Trade's opinion, the government actually has gone back and gotten supplemental reports from the Secretary of Commerce to support a change in decision. Did the
2: government consistently do that? I I, I guess I had I was um, remembering. That it was undisputed that on numerous occasions the president did not go back, even if on some occasions the president did. Right. Well, part of the issue is with this: there is such a paucity of decisions with respect for
4: us to rely on in this. Um, if you actually look at the history of Section 232, of all of the investigations that took place, I think a total of some 31 or 32, including the Trump administration, and, in, in, in of course, in the pre-Trump uh, cases, only 16, in 16 of the cases, Commerce found no threat existed. Nine of those were like, related to presidential action, and most of those were crude oil. So what we're really arguing about here is those crude oil cases, right? Those are the only ones where there was an action and then potential subsequent actions. Uh, in most of the cases, the president either didn't take action, which is one of the reasons why we got to the 1988 amendments in the first place.
2: Isn't there, isn't, I, I thought I saw somewhere in the briefing here um, or um, maybe in the more recent CIT decisions that there was, I don't know, a couple of handfuls of modifications of the petroleum. Yes, there um, were actually, uh, and one
4: of those. Yes, there were. And, your and
2: how many times did the president go
4: back to the secretary for a new investigation? Uh, I know of at least the one time that the president went back in nineteen seventy five.
2: Okay, but that uh, was, and, and that was, in particular, I think Ms. Hogan said that that the particular action that was on review in Algonquin in the Supreme Court. Was one in which the president did not go back for an investigation. Right,
4: that's true. You're right, Your Honor. Um, I will also say there was one case where uh, the the president's uh, change in action was was challenged by the uh, by by. What was it, the American Gasoline Refiners Association, and a district court found that the president couldn't take the action that he took.
2: And do you, um, you, can you just um, address uh, anything you want to about the 1975 opinion of, the, of Attorney General Saxby, which at least on its face seems to have some confirmatory bearing on this continuing course of action authorization?
4: So, my, yes, the way I would look at that is, is obviously that that opinion took place prior to the nineteen eighty eight amendments so it was looking at the old law it wasn't interpreting the law as it exists today with us um... but i also would take the court to take a look at uh... the uh... the uh, legal counsels report that was issued in nineteen eighty two where the government uh... in a in a uh, in a report to uh, the Is this government
2: an, o- an olc opinion yeah.
4: yes yes okay. it was the attorney general office of legal counsel re- issued a report on Proclamation 4341, which was done in four, ten days, but it says that um, it you know it is not an insurmountable bur- burden to require that the president return to the secretary and obtain a new report prior to taking action under Section 232. This is an illegal opinion issued by the government to the president's office, where they in 1982 actually indicated that they would anticipate a new report or a refreshed report going back to the president to support a, re, a new or different action being taken in connection with the petroleum actions being taken. Um, and that then prompted President Ford to get a new report, which only took them 10 days to prepare. Wait a minute.
2: 1982 can't be President Ford.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was 82. That was the decision. Yes, the, uh, pre- uh, the President Ford's uh, request for a new report was 75. I'm getting a little okay.
3: mixed up. So, so wh- I'm sorry. When was this OLC opinion? What year? Yeah.
4: 1982. is actually referenced in the Court of International Trade Opinion under footnote 9.
3: Okay, so was it President Ford or was it President Reagan? It would have been President Reagan at that point. Okay. Uh, can I ask you uh, about your understanding of the, res- the restriction on the president's authority? As I understand it, you read the statute as... Uh, giving the president 90 days to take action, and he must take action. But then after that 90 days, if the president wants to take any further action, uh, he needs to get another secretary report. Is that right?
4: Yes, he should go back to the secretary and get a, a refresh report. Would that
3: include uh, terminating the tariffs? Well, Your Honor, obviously a president
4: always has the ability to rescind a proclamation or an executive order. And, of course, we're seeing a lot of that
3: lately with President Biden. Okay, but I thought you just said to me that for the president to be able to take any further action of any kind outside the 90-day window, he has to go back to get the report from the Commerce Secretary who confers with the Department of Defense Secretary and other important officials in order to – investigate, come up with findings, and issue a new report and recommendation? Well, I guess what I should have said, a
2: modification
4: or a supplemental action taken, not a simple rejection or rescinding of a proclamation or executive what, what order. What
2: is for the distinction?
4: Um, I think a president within the statutory confines has always had the authority to remove or rescind a proclamation by a prior president. That, that, that exists, but I think there is a difference between that and giving the president basically unfettered authority to apply uh, a, a statute for as long as he feels is is in his interest, um, whether or not you know it, it continues to in, be guided by national security concerns. Not in
2: his interest. Yes, he, in he has to do it for. Um, on the specific statutory basis, which is admittedly quite broad, national security, which goes beyond, in fact, defense needs under the statutory definition, and it has to be um, specifically responsive to a threat that imports make to national security, not just using imports for some Mm -hmm. other national security purpose um, in the U.S. relations with a particular country.
4: Your Honor is correct, yes. There has to be a national security purpose behind it uh, that is being advanced. I might, you know, ask... And
1: and just to add to that, it's not just imports in general, it's Turkish imports that have heightened national security, correct? That is correct. That is is what the
4: President espoused when he put the 50% tariffs on. I might add, though, the President removed those tariffs the following August of 2019 and dropped them back to 25%. And, Which, again,
3: that would be outside his authority to do that.
4: Yes, that would be outside his prescribed authority without having gone back, going back to obtain a refresh uh, of the uh, Commerce Department report to, to support the actions being taken. And, and I guess and, what I'm saying is the, the, the font of the President's authority under Section 232 is derived from the Commerce, the Secretary's report. It's in that report that a national security uh, threat is identified, And recommendations are made to the president. Once that happens, the president does have authority to either follow those recommendations, change them, alter them to fit what he thinks is the the proper approach to go forward. But once he commits to that action, then there has to be some circumscription on his ability to forevermore change or adapt those actions as long as he feels or as long as it, 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 it exists.
2: Right, but why, we why wouldn't, talk, that, we were, we why were wouldn't talking, that? Oh,
3: go ahead. Go ahead why yes. wouldn't that constraint in this particular instance be the secretary's report, which said we need an eighty uh, percent domestic steel industry utilization rate? Yes, and, that was. And yes. then now, in this particular instance, the president discovers. Okay, I agree. We, that's what we need, and this is uh, the tariffs I'm going to. Uh, Apply and then, half a year or a year later, he learns, wait a second, uh, we only got a very modest step increase in the utilization rate of the domestic steel plants and and so therefore, um, we haven't met the agreed upon objectives articulated in the secretary's report. so we just have to go higher with at least some tariffs on some of these imports of steel. What is wrong with that outcome? Because so, in that sense, it is tethered
4: to the Secretary's report. It is tethered to the Secretary's report, but but, but I guess we're, how far afield are we going to go from what the report actually says? Because the report indicates that You know, the national security threat were steel imports writ large, right, from around the world coming into the United States and and creating a threat to U.S. domestic production. The the recommended measures were put in place were either a global quota, a global tariff, or a tariff of much higher proportions on some 12 or 13 countries. The president chose a slightly higher tariff on the global stage, but also agreed at the same time that he was going to undertake... Uh, the clause in the statute which allows him to negotiate an agreement with certain countries, which he indeed did with Mexico and Canada and uh, South Korea and Brazil.
2: Uh, when, when, when were the Canadian and Mexican agreements?
4: Those were going. To, I think those were in May in the summer, if I'm correct. After the original March. So,
2: so, so by the time August of 2018 comes round, um, if 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 what you just said is right, we have agreements with. Four of of the five um, exporters uh, of steel um, to the United States that are above Turkey in the list. The only one we there's no agreement with is Russia. Right. So um, the choice of kind of the next biggest importer um, would be you know, uh, Russia or Turkey.
4: That would be correct if we were to go back and look at the extrinsic evidence available.
2: Um, well, that, that list is in the report, and I, I thought you just indicated that, that there were. Um, well, I guess I, I guess we do, we do have at least two proclamations indicating agreements with South Korea and Brazil in mm-hmm. um, uh, was it April and May of yeah. 2018. I, I'm not sure at least the joint appendix, has anything about Canada and Mexico, except that they were um, omitted from the initial one because negotiations looked promising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But were, were, was an agreement reached with those two countries
4: before August of 2018? There was a voluntary agreement put in place. I don't think the president ever had to come to a final decision because there was a voluntary, I am even to call it a voluntary restraint agreement. The Mexicans agreed not to go above a certain, certain threshold. I see.
2: And, and um, do, do we know anything um, about Russia, which is would then be the, the only country with a larger volume of steel imports into the United States, um, uh, other, higher on the list than Lisbon, Turkey at that period?
4: Other than the fact that they had 25% duties imposed, and that was about it.
2: Okay. Uh,
3: Mr. Nolan, I, I understand there were a lot of uh, actions taken by the president vis-à-vis different countries uh, that were spurred by this secretary report here on Steele. Um, in your view, which of those actions were outside the president's authority? I, I, I believe that the actions that he took with
4: respect to coming to agreements were within the statutory framework okay. under subsection, whatever, the 180-day period that he Okay, had.
3: even though he, he may have initially... <clears throat> um, applied the 25% uh, additional tariff? Correct. Okay. And that's because um, those negotiations occurred inside the 180-day period?
4: Correct, yes.
3: So the only actions that he took coming out of this secretary's report that were outside of his statutory authority, in your view, was this... Proclamation 9772 and then subsequent uh, action. To-
4: well, I don't believe so, but I, I couldn't swear to it because I, I, obviously we are focused on this, this case,
3: this particular
4: case with Turkey. I'm not challenging other actions that he's taken. We're only challenging with respect to Turkey.
3: No, I understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to, at the same but time, I don't think, think there was. I don't recall.
4: Goes. Yeah, I don't recall there was another action outside. Um, but I would have to go back and take a long, hard look at the history of the record on that one.
1: Counselor, is this case particularly distinguishable from Allegheny-Pittsburgh Coal?
4: Uh, I would say it's distinguishable, obviously, because the law was different. Right? The statute was different. Um, I'm not sure what else to
1: say about it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Any other questions? Okay. Hearing no other questions, let's uh, go back to Councillor Hogan. You have four minutes of rebuttal time.
0: Thank you, and, uh, Your uh, Honor. Councillor,
1: before you started, and I won't dock you on this, but can you also tell us what the status of the of the stay is and and the injunction? I'm sorry.
0: The status of the stay in, in this case?
1: Yes. Uh, had, had there been any payment of duties yet or refunds? Oh, the
0: oh. yes, Your Honor. Um, the, all of the judgments have been paid to the four importers. Okay. The can, reading of the stats... Yes.
2: Can you say something about the 1982 OLC opinion, which I'm afraid I have not looked at?
0: Um, I, I am... I, I will confess that I'm struggling to remember which particular...
2: Um, okay, that's, that's fine. I don't, want, I, don't want to that want, I don't want to waste your time by each of us guessing, so that's fine. Um, I,
0: I guess what I would say is that the, the, the notion that it uh, it might be a good policy reason for the president to request a new investigation from the secretary or to request for... The, is not the same as um, whether the statute requires it or whether the president is, is cut off from the power to take any kind of... Action, whether that's adjustment of the rate of tariff, whether that's uh, a a reduction of the tariff, whether that's um, a termination of the measure under the reading um, that the trial court imposed, the the, the trial court's reading and the the importers' reading of the statute, um, the president wouldn't even be able to implement the tariff uh, exclusion proceed program that the the department of Commerce administers, because those actions necessarily take place outside of the 90- and 15-day time periods. Um, and, and that just can't be the case, that the president is uh, totally precluded from taking any kind of, of action after the 90-plus-15-day windows. We would say here that the time wouldn't, frames
1: Wouldn't Congress have a, uh, an interest... In ensuring that the delegation of its authority to manage the tariff to the to the President under these circumstances has some limitation to it, and isn't that isn't that interest reflected in the in the uh, eighty eight amendment uh, The other side of this coin that I'm describing is uh, Congress simply given away its authority to the president an uh, authority that's been delegated to Congress under the Constitution. So what, what's your response to there being a delegation issue here, if we accept your argument?
0: I, the Supreme Court has already said that there's no non-delegation problem with this statute. Um, and nothing in the 1988 amendments um, altered that. I mean, if, if anything, Congress provided more uh guardrails and by providing these timeframes for concurrence and, and implementation. Um, and, it, and those guardrails served their purpose here because the president did act timely to concur and implement action within the timeframe set for the statute, set for, for action. Um, and that doesn't so what, preclude what, the president. What,
1: guard, what, what are the guardrails you're talking about right now?
0: So Congress wanted the president to to. Act timely to not sit on uh, a report that there was a threat of impairment to national security, and so, so if the president t-
1: does not, if the president does not act timely, is he without authority under the statute? Oops.
0: Probably, probably not, um, for the reason that we we described in our in our brief, which is a slightly different principle, but but simply that there's not any evidence that Congress intended for the president to um, to lose his authority if he's a day late or two weeks late. Um, Congress intended that the mandatory job be done, and that job is to protect uh, national security, so much in the same way as, as, as the Supreme Court has read that the, the term "shall" uh, need something more than the term "shall" in order to cut off power to act. Um, we believe that that principle applies applies how, here. How do
1: we How do we know that the president is acting on behalf of the national security?
0: We take what the president says, and in this at, at circumstance, value,
1: the president just simply says. I believe wakes up some morning and says, you know, I believe I today I'll impose more tariffs on um Turkey, you know, I kinda don't like them and I'm gonna impose more tariffs. Is that would that be within his authority? No, it wouldn't. He would have to go back he would have to base that decision on trade data. Either his we were- or the secretary's. And here hasn't Congress said you must base this on the the uh, Department of Commerce data.
0: Congress has not said that. Congress has said that there must be an investigation. Congress has not prohibited the president from meeting with his advisors, obtaining new information um, on an informal or confidential basis um, that can inform the president's adjustment of the remedy that he selects. The remedy that he selects is entirely within within his discretion.
1: But it's got to be related um, to tariffs, correct?
0: Well, it, it so has, has to be related said? to action, action to adjust imports, whether that's tariffs, quotas, embargoes, some other action. It would not necessarily be limited to tariffs, although that is the tool that, one of the, the primary tools that sure. you selected in this mm-hmm. case. Um, just to, just to uh, I think the court had a question to my colleague about the Allegheny-Pittsburgh uh, case, and I, I understand we, we never addressed the equal protection uh, claim, so, so perhaps I'll just briefly address um, that particular case, which is um, an entirely different proposition, because our trade, our entire trade regime, we do not have a principle of equal taxation under our, under our trade regime, unlike the West Virginia state comp- constitution, which embodied uh, a principle of equal taxation. Our um our entire class our entire import scheme is based on the on the principle that products from different countries can be and are routinely treated differently. Um, so we think that's a critical distinction and a critical error that the Court of international trade uh, reached in in the equal protection uh, portion of its of its judgment. Um, okay go ahead. I was going to say, I think I would, would, would disrespectfully request that the court reverse the judgments um, for these for two reasons and um, vacate, the, vacate the judgment.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. We, we thank the parties for their arguments this morning. Uh, this court will now take this uh, matter under advisement and stand in recess.
0: This honorable court is adjoined from day to day.